What up, all you beautiful misfits and rejects out there? Thank you for joining me for episode 137 of Misfits and Rejects. In today's episode, I spoke with Anna Yen. Anna's in my mastermind group. We meet every two weeks and just kind of support each other in our online entrepreneurial endeavors. Anna's always really been an inspiration to me because... In her 20s, she dug her family out of debt single-handedly and has been supporting her mother and sister for quite a long time. She also became financially free at age 30. So somebody I really look up to when it comes to her financial intelligence and and how she sees money in this world and, and just creates online businesses that generate cash flow. One of Anna's online businesses is called Family Fi, where she helps families and women and anybody who's looking to really get in control of their financial situation, really tackle debt and really change the way they think about money and help them solve all their financial problems. So she came on the episode today just talking about how she did it, how she dug her family out of debt and how she became financially free at 30 and how she also helps others do the same. It's a really awesome episode and I hope you enjoy. If you're a first-time listener, please pull out your phone, hit the subscribe button. I'd also really appreciate it if you gave Misfits and Rejects a five-star rating on whatever podcast player you're listening to it on and sharing this episode with a friend, a friend who maybe does need some financial help. They're in a lot of debt. This is a great episode to share with somebody that you know who is struggling with debt and finances. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode with Anna Yen. Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners... A lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today I'm joined by my good friend and mastermind colleague, Anna Yen. She has FamilyFi, which is an online coaching service about money management and helping people get themselves out of debt, empowering people with their finances, with their money's families to be specific and entrepreneurs and even women. But I brought her on to really just share her story because it's a really cool story about how she took her family out of debt and got them to a place that they are financially secure now. So Anna, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, it's really nice to have you. You Anna and I meet every few weeks online with the rest of the group and we always are always supporting each other, trying to help each other out with uh, our entrepreneurial endeavors online. And Anna just has always struck me as somebody who really has her shit together in so many ways that uh, I love, I love talking to you every week because I know you are just somebody that I can always reach out to with some pretty complicated financial questions and you always have good answers. I appreciate that. I think we're always, everybody's trying to wing it and you know, it's, everything's a work in progress, but I've definitely focused a lot more on the financial path and that's where my passion has been. Yeah, and like when you say wing it, I think you are have created a lot of businesses online that have been successful. So um, I feel like you have a little bit more experience in online entrepreneur success than a lot of us do at this point within our our group meetings. Where where did you get started? What was the first business that you kind of started with online? But we can go back to like your your upbringing and everything in a minute. But what was the first business you started? Well, I've always liked tinkering around with sites. Uh, I actually did 
end up going through college and getting a computer science degree in addition to an undergrad, you know, economics and finance degree. So I've always been a nerd at heart, I'd say. <laughs> and I, I liked building websites and just throwing stuff out on the internet and seeing what sticks. So So what was the first one that stuck? The one that you're like, oh wow, this is actually making money. <laughs> well, I honestly I threw some blogs out there and I just really wanted to try to gain some affiliate income. Mm -hmm. So using affiliate links to market other businesses and products and uh, it, it was it was very niche. I I was trying to focus on something that I knew and that I that I enjoyed. So I, you know, had always had a passion for learning Chinese, and I started a Chinese language site that was really focused on helping Asian Americans navigate learning Chinese on their own because I was very lucky in that my mom was actually a Chinese teacher and we spoke Chinese at home even though we grew up or I grew up in Ohio and I felt like I always had that guidance and the discipline from my mom but then a lot of my I guess you could say a lot of my peers and Asian friends that I had didn't have that same um family environment. So when they got a lot older, they regretted not being as fluent in, you know, what was kind of their ethnic language. That's interesting. You know, you, you, were your parents as entrepreneurial as you? Like, how did you learn to be this entrepreneurial? No, definitely not. And it was a long road to actually start taking risks on my own because, I'd always taken the safe path and culturally, you know, it's it's very common for Asians and I'm Chinese in particular to want to become <laughs> kind of stereotypically doctors or lawyers, you know, professions that are fairly safe and that there's a good salary to draw. Um, you know, finance is also one of those professions. And so I actually went down that path. I, I went to a big school. I went to a big company, JP Morgan, to work right after school and kind of bounced around Wall Street for a bit. So it was definitely not this uh, natural path for me. But, you know, I, I kind of had an awakening while I was working 12, 14 hour days. And it's it's one of those things that you you end up stumbling upon. And back then there wasn't I'm kind of dating myself, but it wasn't like I could read the internet and see all these you know self help stories out there. Mm -hmm. So I've been uh, I guess you could say I've just been very lucky. I just I started I really like talking to people, and I made some friends who were on very different paths. And um, I've always loved traveling. So just going to all these countries and actually uh, running into entrepreneurs who are, are trying to make a living is really inspiring. So is that 
is that something you kind of drew uh, drew from? Like you were working for you know on Wall Street, J.P. Morgan. You said um, you had an awakening. What was that awakening, and how did that occur? I've always been, <laughs> quite frankly, I've always been very financially focused. Uh, in that, like, I really wanted to make a lot of money right out of the gates, and I think, to be quite honest, you know, that's what motivated me to to join a bank. And I, my father was actually a day trader for, for a couple years, meaning he basically, after he was fired from his engineering job, he wanted to be at home and run his own business. So, I mean, maybe that's where there's a little bit of a parallel between, you know, uh, entrepreneurship and what he was trying to do because he just wanted to be his own boss. But he was losing his shirt a lot. And I wanted to figure out why, you know, basically he was losing against the house all the time. So what'd you come up with? So that's what inspired me to to want to go into finance in the first place. The um the thing that always strikes me, you know, on your website you talk about, you know, helping your family dig themselves out of debt. Um can you kind of give us all a timeline on, you know, you went to school and you went straight to Wall Street. And I think through our casual conversations, you always had a goal to be financially free by 30. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. And so can you just kind of chart for us that timeline of like, you know, getting out of school, getting the career, helping your parents get out of debt and then actually achieving your goal and being financially free by 30? Like <laughs> what, 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 what played? Like how that all played through? I was just. I was super focused from the beginning and, you know, I'm sure you and a lot of your listeners have heard about the fire movement and it's a little funny to me because what's, um, what's really considered the central tenant or I believe is the central tenant of the fire movement is this cutting down of expenses and, you know, really kind of hoarding cash and then investing in the market and, and growing that to the point of financial freedom. And it's almost touted as a new thing, um, just revolutionary. And I think just culturally, I would say that just coming from an immigrant family, that's just the way we were raised. That's the way my entire family, you know, <laughs> treated um, our lifestyles. Like, we would go into movie theaters like trying to bring our own popcorn because we were we were too cheap to to you know buy the popcorn there and it was very ghetto but um, we would we would always try to be saving money and not spend it on quote unquote unnecessary things so and if you look at savings rates in Asia they're they're just extremely high um, so that's that was part of the ethos um, that I grew up with, but at the same time, my parents accumulated a massive amount of debt, and that was from mostly my father basically gambling uh, with with the financial markets, and so we were constantly under stress, and it just struck me how crippling that is to, you know everything like from your mindset um just having the scarcity mindset where you feel like 
there's well clearly there's never enough but you you almost don't deserve enough um and so the i guess from the beginning i just always had this drive to to make a lot of money save you know 80% of it if i could um and then go from there and and actually be able to take care of my family uh including my parents and my my sister so I graduated um went through kind of my first few years of uh financial markets work at a at an investment bank and then i moved to asia which gave me the opportunity to to work as an expat um and it was good you know it was a good package as well in terms of the the compensation i could draw and it is possible to live fairly frugally uh, if i wanted to but at the same time i never wanted to sacrifice my lifestyle to the extent that i was suffering or didn't enjoy it so it sounds like when you went to asia you went on uh like to go work as an employee for a bank is that what i'm understanding or yeah so i definitely started down that path of uh, a typical corporate job typical career and uh, it took me you know a couple years before i made a switch into portfolio management and took a big risk in 2008 to join a hedge fund um and at the time the markets were just insane so uh the fund wanted to close down in asia wanted to bring me back to the states and i just i wasn't ready for that yet so that's when i took off a year to travel so that's really indicative of the fact that like i was still trying to make sure i had my own life uh, even though i was also saving a lot for my family i i didn't want that to be the sole purpose of you know my my 20s um and so in, my, in kind of my mid 20s i took that year off just kind of ended up being almost a year and a half before i found another job at a bank and to travel and that year i traveled the 40 countries on on six continents and it <laughs> it is a lot so it just sounds like a lot here listening to myself talk about it. Were you solo when you went traveling? I was, but at the same time, I tried to plan meetups with people. There were a lot of people traveling in 2009, you know, <laughs> out of the workforce. So I, I also met a lot of interesting people who may not otherwise have been on the road. Um, and then I, I knew, you know, I'd kind of set aside a budget for it of basically 40,000 at the time and then for the year and then i decided um after a year <laughs> a little bit traveled out and went back to corporate lifestyle and i think from there it was, it was just a couple more years of of really dealing with um my um my father's illness he he had cancer so he ended up passing away and i i had to do something about the debt that he had so i actually declared bankruptcy for him and then 
have been supporting my my mom since then. But I think kind of part of the awakening that I had was trying to draw healthy boundaries for myself with my family and then figuring out what would help me really figure out my self-worth. And then along the way, you know, have enough money to sort of sustain the lifestyle I wanted. That's beautiful. So, yeah, let's talk a little bit about boundaries and self-worth. I mean, because that's very introspective, I think, search that many people have and some people don't come to any conclusion. What uh, what did you come up with? I mean, you talk about boundaries and I'm, I'm kind of getting the fact that you didn't want to be the the complete what like crutch for your family if you will Mm -hmm. um you needed to obviously live your own life pursue your dreams and your happiness um so you probably drew some boundaries within that structure and then what kind of things did you discover about your self-worth and and what kind of i guess self talk did you have prior to those discoveries yeah i think prior to that my only i mean my main focus was to just make sure that no one in my family would stress about finances again. And I just, it's like I was trying to carry the weight of a, of the world on my shoulders um, and be financially responsible for, for two people in my family, uh, for my mom and my, my sister. At what age was this, if you don't mind me asking? You're like 28? So I'd wanted to do this for, for years, ever since... My dad first got sick, and um, so I was, yeah, I was early, early 20s. So even when I was, say, 21, I, I had this, this drive and this motivation. And from then, I just, I, you know, once I had that vision, I was doing everything and really going out of my way to, to, make that happen. So it was a lot of things that I did um, that at, at the time that probably weren't that healthy. Like I, I would just proactively offer to fund my, my family and just, you know, try to be the hero of my family because I just wanted, I wanted things to be better for everyone. And then did you come to the conclusion that wasn't healthy and you had to draw a few boundaries upon that conclusion? Right. So I just went through, I went through a lot of drama with, (laughs) with my family. Um, and I think they, they were just expecting to some extent they were expecting that I would, I would always be there. And I just, you know, I can be there in some shape or form, definitely as support, as moral support for sure. But just being, you know, in my twenties and still basically having like a family to, to, to support is a lot of responsibility. So it's something that just through conversations with my family, I just realized I had to start drawing some lines and that's what kind of led me down the path of, Hey, you know, I've been doing this, work at first because I actually I really did enjoy working on a trading floor like there's some of the smartest people that I've I've met with in my life and um, everybody has really varied interests and it's a really fast-paced environment but at the same time I think I feel like I had 
professional ADD and I would always be multitasking and doing something different. Um, and you know, I, I just wanted to, after a while, I, I think the drive to, to make the money was, was just coming out too strong, um, as, as one of the main reasons. And so I needed to do more for myself where I could try to fund more of a nomadic lifestyle. And, you know, also later on just having a family that was, it was a huge driver for wanting to have a location independent business. Yeah. Yeah. What, so, I mean, just so to summarize, you know, you go through school, you do have this huge motivation to take care of your family. Uh, you go to wall street, you start saving. It sounds like you said 80% of your salary to help, help your family. You take that year off, obviously fall in love with traveling and, and start thinking more about maybe starting your own ventures online, come back to the banking world doing the same thing, I'm assuming, you know, saving 80%, really taking care of your family. And then what, 30 comes and you're like, I've accomplished, I've accomplished what I, I wanted to, my family's taken care of, and now I can focus on me and my, my desires to start my own businesses and have my own family? Yeah, I, I really felt like, you know, what I'd wanted from a young age was was basically happening and I felt more comfortable with pursuing my own dreams and my own lifestyle and I, did, I guess I got rid of some of the guilt I had about just doing something that was a little more risky what what, what was the guilt about being risky like guilty that you might blow it all and people would be ashamed of you yeah and, and just knowing that I'd gone down this path that was pretty lucrative in the corporate world. And, you know, it's hard to, it's sometimes hard to step away from that. And I was very fortunate to be able to uh, get a job at, at some pretty good companies and have great benefits. And you always feel like, wow, am I giving up something that I'm going to regret? Mm-hmm. So that was definitely a part of it. How, um, how did you meet your husband? We met in Hong Kong, actually. So I'd been working. Well, I actually moved to Hong Kong three times. So this is the second time I moved there. And he had uh, gone to the same school I had. We didn't know each other. And we were introduced by a friend. But he happened to be location independent. So he was actually very inspiring and letting me get a glimpse of that lifestyle and connecting me to, you know, the dynamite circle community and getting me involved in that. I see. What does he do? He runs a business uh, called the park database and he does very niche real estate consulting, which is often focused on theme parks and attractions, you know, so he could, run economic feasibility studies for Universal Studios or, um, you know, even Disney and help them figure out uh, if if building a master resort or theme park is is attractive. And it's very, very niche. (laughs) So interesting. I love it. Did he come up with that idea on his own? He was doing the same work at a bigger company, at a 
a company that actually is now defunct. And then he spun out with some partners for a while. Um, and eventually he spun out on his own. I see. Now, so you have a daughter and you have another one on the way. And I do. you have been location independent for how long? Living in how many different countries around the world? It would be five countries that I've lived in. And location independent, uh, you know, because I had a few stints at corporate jobs, uh, even even after my daughter was born, I <laughs> I did go back and work for a company in Hong Kong for six months. And so, you know, technically, you could say really fully uh, nomadic, uh, probably just the last three years, but there were pockets in between where, where I was also nomadic and clearly caught the travel bug in 2008. Can you kind of take our audience through like what, what it means to travel with a family to start a new life in a new place with a family I mean, doing this, what are you doing multiple times a year or once every few years? Cause I mean, you lived, you just came from Taiwan. You'd been there for what, like four or five years prior to that. You're what in like South Korea or can you just take us through the various places and how it really works to like uproot your family and start a new life? And I mean, do you speak Korean? Like when you were living in South Korea, did you get, how'd you get around and do your thing? Right. So I do, I did not speak Korean when I moved there, but I did learn enough. I learned three-year-old Korean basically. <laughs> and I can, I can get by at the three or four year level now. Uh, but before that, I had been living uh, nomadically in Hong Kong um, and kind of traveling, using using that as a base. I'd, I'd use Singapore as a base. Um, and so I was always very comfortable with travel and figured that when I had a kid, I'd want him or her to be comfortable as well. And so I did end up, you know, after having my daughter, basically picking up um, at least every eight or nine months or so. And then, you know, establishing more of a home base so that there would be some continuity. But then because I had, I'd often had to do visa runs, we would be out you know, every two to three months. So I was in Taiwan, mainly I had a home bases in Taiwan and then Korea before that, and then Hong Kong. So, you know, it sounds, it sounds amazing a lot to be able to say, I, I was able to take my daughter, you know, to 10 countries a year ever since she was born. And, She's a great traveler. Like she hops on a plane and asks where the food and TV are. <laughs> and she's really quite used to it. But it's definitely, there is a, you know, the reality of uprooting somebody who is, even though she was kind of born into it, I think as, as people, we just like things that are familiar as well. So... You know, she just started making friends in Korea, and then we would kind of move 
to another place for a few months. And um, it was it was a bit disruptive to have to keep changing like Airbnbs or, um, you know, just that physical <laughs> location that we were in. But I mean, it sounds like your husband enjoyed it as much as you. So it wasn't, you were kind of in the same frame of mind. Like this was a comfortable lifestyle for everybody. You know, I, I don't know if I would call it comfortable because <laughs> now being back in the uh, estates for a while, for the last two months, you know, it, because it's what we're used to, like having a car and having creature comforts of of a place to stay, even though we're we're going to be moving again, um, is very comfortable <laughs> here. Um, and then trying to navigate a place like Korea, which was honestly the first place I was really ever an expat, because in Hong Kong I spoke Chinese and it's very expat friendly. So Korea, you know, I went through almost isolation for the first few months because I didn't, I didn't know how to meet people. So mm. and when, you know, people find motherhood to be kind of lonely when you're, when you're first starting out because of your attention has to be focused on your kid just by the realities of feeding them, um, you know, and taking care of them. So there's not a lot of time to go out and meet people, and that's that's what made the transition kind of kind of difficult. But I think it's kind of like you can't have the highs without the lows. We definitely probably had higher highs and maybe some <laughs> lower lows. But ultimately, yeah, it was it was the lifestyle that we'd worked on achieving, and it felt really good to to be able to do that. Yeah, I mean, I. I love it. I want to live my life on the road just for the families out there who are considering it. Like, can you just give us a uh, play by play? So it's like, okay, you want to go move to Korea. You're online looking for Airbnbs, like long-term Airbnbs. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to get what insurance when you land, are you, you using travel insurance to like keep your family safe? Like from a family perspective, there's obvious concern about their children's well being And like, how were you dealing with all these things? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's definitely a good checklist of, of things to go through because especially with a kid, you know, health insurance, having medical providers in place, especially if you don't speak the language, is really important. So thankfully, health insurance outside of the U.S. is just a breeze <laughs> compared to coming back to the States and trying to navigate health insurance here as a nomad. Um, and you can get a policy that doesn't cover the U S and Canada and it, it will cover any country. Mm -hmm. So if you're already nomadic outside of the, outside of the U S anyways, as an American, it's, it just like it and self-employed, it just seems so much easier. Uh, and then, you know, for example, when I moved to Taiwan, I wanted things set from day one. So, I basically called ahead and even figured out a preschool for my daughter so that we, we'd flown in on that Saturday. On Monday, we, um, I mean, we moved in on Saturday, and then on the Monday, my daughter was in school. <laughs> wow, you're highly organized. <laughs> so, I mean, that was towards the end um, 
of, I guess, the, the last few years of being a nomad around Asia. And I just wanted to snap my fingers and, and be settled in. But, you know, you, you kind of lose a lot of belongings. Like, you, you just try to live very minimally. And um, the I think the top things are, you know, when you have a kid, the school or daycare and uh, health insurance, as you mentioned, you know, obviously a roof above your head. Where can you get groceries delivered from? Um, you really? know, so you're where- getting groceries delivered? You're not going to the store yourself? Like that's kind of always within your model is to get groceries delivered? Yeah, if you can, if you can. Wow, look at you. I've never much heard of this, possible. actually. It's much more common in, in I'd say, Asia, and where there's high, you know, high density of people. Like in Korea, you can get anything delivered to you, like within 24 hours. Um, so it's figuring out where to get your groceries and any anything that you would, say, get off of Amazon in the States. Uh, and then... Having, lastly, and also very importantly, having a network of people to reach out to. So I went on Facebook a lot and tried to, you know, date other moms and <laughs> find my my tribe in new places. It's so interesting. And it sounds like it was so fulfilling for a long time. What what made you decide to come back to the States for this short stint or long stint? I don't know. How long do you plan on being in the States for? Well, you know, I think... It's it's been a long time since we've been back in the states. Uh, I'd say we want to spend a little more time here. I, you know, I am having a baby, so the reality of it is, I'm probably not going to be uh, very mobile for the next year, probably. Um, and that's that's probably because my my daughter has a congenital heart condition. Um, that she'll need surgery on when she's about four to six months. So we're not going to really be able to travel anywhere. It's like, it, it does, maybe it's a good thing that it's keeping us in, in one place for a while. But I don't feel like I've, you know, I don't have an itch that I need to scratch anymore, so to speak, because I've just been on the road so much and then, yeah, so while you're on the road, you're obviously, you have all your niche sites and you're constantly, you know, building more and doing more entrepreneurial stuff online. And that was kind of how your cash flow is coming in through your, your niche websites. Some of it. And I was still lucky enough to, to have a network from my, I guess you could say corporate days where I could get consulting projects on and off. Like I, I helped a cryptocurrency project in Korea which is super interesting just to just to learn more about that industry. And uh, I've been, you know, I've been working on this money coaching business because as especially as a mom, I just I have a soft spot for wanting to empower women and families to to live the lifestyle that they want and not feel like they're just running their kids' lives and they're, they're being run by their kids' lives. <laughs> yeah. No, let's talk about FamilyFi. Um, so it's, you know, coaching service for, you know, families, helping everybody empower themselves to live the lifestyle they want um, in a smart way, in a, in a way that's going to 
not only enable them to live where they want, but also maybe put something away for the future? Is that kind of how you do it? Yeah. And, you know, I think there are a couple parts to it. There's a very customized consulting program that I do where I really want to try to tackle um, individual issues and get to the heart of, you know, what's driving either the the historical financial issues that somebody's having, whether it's debt that they've gotten themselves into, whether it's emotional spending, or it's just inability to not only save, but it, fear of investing. Uh, I think there's a whole spectrum out there and a lot of people defeat themselves from the start without even trying because, you know, they think, well, maybe I don't have the background, maybe I don't know enough, but there are enough tools and, you know, technology out there now that, that make investing uh, very easy. And it's, it's something that will help people compound their wealth over time. So you, you know, it's like the psychological service you provide where you really try to get deep and peel back the layers of, um, like you talked about, you know, maybe some of the self-defeating thoughts people have about uh, investing and just money in general. And there's another side of the service. Which one's that? Mm-hmm. So I also really like, I like to be results-oriented and really look at the practical side of, okay, well, how is your, how is your, financial structure right now and you know whether it's the types of accounts you have the credit cards you have we can actually go very in depth on what that looks like what you have kind of planned for retirement and um you know savings percentage so you can get very granular you can look at loan debt management and um general you know investing as well. So do you put a step-by-step process together for them or you work with them to put a step-by-step process together? Right. Okay. That's really cool. So then if there is like a woman out there right now, or do you have like a, any tips on like where people should look to invest their money? <laughs> like I'm not looking for the, like the, the secret tip, but you kind of alluded to like the other services that, you know, people can start investing on their own. So like, what yeah. are you going to tell them to do if if that yeah. person is listening right now? Yeah, so you know, even one of the best investors of all time, Warren Buffett, will advise to buy index funds and to buy a total market index that will give you exposure to the market without having to pick individual stocks. Mm-hmm. So it diversifies your risk a lot more. You're investing in basically the whole market, if you can. And there are a number of funds out there now. Um, you know, Vanguard is a, is a longtime uh, money manager that creates funds that people can invest into. And if you're just not familiar with that jargon, there's... there's um, what we call robo advisors that will figure out what types of these these broad index funds to invest in for you. 
And a rob is so, a robo a robot or like, <laughs> what is a robo? <laughs> yeah, it does. It does stand for robot advisor, but it's basically using uh, computer programs to figure out where to invest in a very usually broad, diversified way. So there are a couple of of services like. Uh, most large investment firms have some kind of robo-advisor like Fidelity and Schwab or some of the bigger brokerages that do. In the last um, few years, I think people have heard of Wealthfront, Betterment. Those are very popular services as well. So is it literally like just typing in, answering questions, typing in information, it spits out like we think this would probably be the best place for you to think about investing? It's even, yeah, it's almost even easier in that you give these brokerages the ability to invest your money for you, pay a fairly low management fee. And I say for, for people who just really don't feel comfortable and don't know where to start, It's this is a, a good place to start. No, it's sound advice for sure. And um, and, and the fees you were saying are low enough that um, you're not getting killed when, I mean, you're just basically breaking even a lot of times people say when you have all these fees that you're constantly, constantly paying. Right. So it's obviously not going to be as cheap as, investing it yourself but as a starting point the fees are typically between say 0.2 percent per year to maybe 0.35 percent and that's that's considered fairly low and those fees i think are going to come down uh, over time anyways and and there there are other ways to invest with lower fees but you know, to begin with, if you want a little bit of hand-holding, that's a good place to start. Mm, I love it. Um, you know, thinking about the audience out there listening right now um, and the adventures you've had being a digital nomad, you know, a woman with a family on the road, living various mm-hmm. countries around the world, what would you say to somebody listening right now who wants to kind of mimic your lifestyle and, and get out there and, and do that? <laughs> I'd say... You know, you're never going to, you're not going to figure out a a formula for how to achieve your end goals. Um, You just have to start taking action and trying to learn along the way. Because I think also culturally, I had been raised to, to follow a path. And to a certain extent, we're all raised that way. You go to school, you get good grades, hopefully, and then you go to college, and then you get a job. Um, and it's it's a path that still works for a lot of people. But if you want to do something off the beaten path, you know, it's just getting started. You book a ticket and start learning about an industry that you're interested in, that you're passionate about, um, that you could see yourself putting the work and the effort into, because it's it is a lot of work, uh, and it's not all all smooth sailing. But just get started. 
I love it. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, if you uh, ever need any help with your financial situation, you have Anna here, Anna Yan from Family Fi, who will be happy to take you through uh, her services and, and point you in the right direction. Thank you, Anna, so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Awesome, Anna. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. What a huge inspiration to me and many others who are struggling with debt and just finances in general. Please, if you haven't gotten a Misfits and Rejects t-shirt yet, please head over to misfitsandrejects.com backslash shop and pick one up. It'd also be super helpful if you are interested in supporting Misfits and Rejects. You can support Misfits and Rejects on Patreon. It's a monthly donation. Whatever you want, it's all appreciated. Nothing is expected, but you can head over to Patreon and make a pledge, a monthly pledge or whatever. You know, $1, $2, $5, $10. It all helps. Nothing is expected. All is appreciated. Thank you so much for joining me. I think you all are so very, very beautiful i look forward to seeing you in the next episode ciao see you next week thank you for listening to misfits and rejects i hope this inspire you to think about your life situation where you're at and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life i hope these people that i interview inspire you to go out spread your wings and try something new to live a different lifestyle that Maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.